0: Uh, so, as we prepare to, to just hear from God's Word today, uh, would you just turn your Bibles to Acts 18, if you're at home, and maybe put a, put a finger in at Romans 16 as well. I'm just going to pray as we begin today. God, thank you for your Word. Thank you that in your Word we see wonderful examples, a great cloud of witnesses of people who have lived their lives to love you. And God, we just pray that your Word would shape us today that we would allow it to call us to live on mission for you, to live out of the identity that we've been given as people who follow the Lord. And so we pray that we would hear your word today. Amen. Awesome. So let's, let's pick up and let's read in Acts 18, and we'll, we'll jump around there a little bit and then go to Romans 16 for a moment. Acts 18, 1-3. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth there he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila born in Pontus who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla they had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome Paul lived and worked with them for they were tent makers just as he was and then down to verse 24 meanwhile a Jew named Apollos An eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia. And the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers in Achaia, asking him to welcome him. When he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who, by God's grace, had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate. Using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. And now from Romans 16, starting in verse 3. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Amen. You know, there are Priscilla's and Aquila's all over the world. I met one such couple in Honduras, Mario and Doris Puerto. They were living in a small town near Sigua Honduras, surrounded by poverty and joblessness. And whenever they had money for gas, they would drive into a small nearby village to pastor and serve the people in that village. And if there was need, they had two rooms in their house. And as far as I saw, there was always someone staying in those rooms as they went to school or as they served the church. I got to be one of them for a time. See, there are Priscilla's and Aquila's serving our church in our own community, There are married couples who serve ministries around the world. And then, while they're here, they use their resources, even when they're not here, to show hospitality to many in the church. And they are willing and able to train up young believers in the faith. See, the kingdom of God is on the move through marriage. The kingdom of God is on the move through marriage. See, the hope of the gospel, the good news that God loves sinners through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is being portrayed to the world, not only through the ministry of single people like Paul and Apollos, but also through marriages like Priscilla and Aquila. Now, a few times in this series, uh, we've brought up this idea of the great horizon, or a great horizon, which is a common place that basically believers are, we're, to, we're to fix our eyes to on the calling that God has given us uh, to glorify him, And to live in light of the promise of a future with Jesus, right? That's the goal that we press on to. And if we're in Christ, that common horizon is a life that is to reflect God's love to the world. A life that has crucified the sinful nature that we all have to the cross. And now is to live as a witness to Jesus, to the risen Jesus, to all nations. So Christians, uh, single and married alike, we're called to live out our identity as God's sent people, his missionary people. See, we're people who are saved by God and created in Christ Jesus to do good works. As Pastor David said, to bear faithful witness to the salvific work of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to be moved by the Holy Spirit to witness to the risen Lord and participate with God in his mission and to continue his work. That's one of the things we see in the Acts. The Acts is Jesus at work to continue his work by proclaiming Jesus as Lord and Savior and to call people to faith and ongoing commitment to him. See, marriage, it is a picture of Christ's love for his church, but it's also a pursuit of Christ's purposes on earth. Tim Keller, he, he reminds us that marriage is for us to help one another become our future glory selves and that there's the common horizon that a husband and wife look to is the throne and the holy, spotless, blameless nature that we'll have. And that common horizon, though, it doesn't just involve, you know, working on each other, having God work through us to help each other. It also includes a horizon that reaches out into the world and pursues Christ's purposes, follows Him in every season of life with our eyes fixed on Him. And so if you're single and listening today, I can't stress that enough. that The most important priority of your life, if you are a follower of Christ, is that you lay your love life, your vocation, your free time down at Jesus' feet and just say, here I am. And that way as you approach dating, whether you're 20 or 50, that you make that common horizon, the north star, that you point your compass towards. Some of you have heard the story, maybe in the past, of Elizabeth and Jim Elliott. Uh, Jim and Elizabeth met each other At Wheaton College in 1948 and if you if you read the book that Elizabeth wrote she It's largely compiled from Jim's journals and letters. It's called the shadow of the Almighty You can see this constant wrestling in Jim with his desire to kind of date or court Betty as he calls her And his greater desire to please God and remain wholeheartedly committed to him above all You can hear his heart in these words here The Lord knows how I surrendered this love life business to him long ago and the assurance That he will eventually lead into his way is strong tonight. Beloved, if you ever prayed for Jim, redouble your earnestness. That was the essence of many of his prayers as he wrote about his affections for Betty and his desire to remain steadfastly committed to the Lord. You know, it wasn't until May 1952 when God actually brought their callings to the same place in Quinto, Ecuador. And then they married in October 1953 so that question is, what were they waiting for? Well, they were waiting on God. They were waiting until their commitments to the great horizon and the ministry God called them to matched up at the same waypoint. A waypoint is like a stopping place on a journey. And then they discerned that, hey, they could honor God and be faithful to their convictions and callings and go the same direction at the same pace. And so if you're single or dating, don't sacrifice the great Horizon. Like Seek first God's kingdom, and I know that verse is in the context of not worrying, but it's true. Seek first his kingdom and commit those other desires of your heart to him. See, it's important that the missional identity and calling of your life is faithful to the end, no matter the different waypoints and the different stopping places that your life takes you to. See, Jim ended up passing away less than three years after they were married. But Elizabeth's commitment to the great horizon, to God's calling in her life, never changed. And that was the case with Priscilla and Aquila. Right, we hear about them in Rome. They went back to Rome and they served there. We know that they were in Ephesus. And then we hear that they're in Ephesus as Paul's life is drawing to a close, probably around AD 66 and 67. They're serving Paul's protege, basically, Timothy. So no matter what age they were, their marriage was on mission, serving Christ in the church. See, Priscilla and Aquila's great horizon never changed. So my question to you is, has your life been carried along, or is it being carried along? Is it gripped by God's calling on your life? A couple years ago, I was on a pretty intense hike with a group of men. Uh, We were split into a number of teams, and we had one big day uh, with lots of hiking. And our team had to start second last. Uh, because they were trying to time it out by hours so that most teams could make it uh, to camp around the same time. But our team, even though we started second last, we got there far before any other team, even though we started hours after some of the teams. And one of the big reasons for that, it wasn't just because it was full of farm boys and they were great at just going, uh, it was actually because we were going the right direction the whole time. We had followed our GPS, we had navigated every coordinate really really well we knew that we were going the right direction and we were going at a great pace with great precision we knew that to make it to the end of the hike that day we had to follow our gps accurately and make it to every waypoint right to make it to every next point stopping place and then faithfully punch in the right coordinates for the next coordinates for the next waypoint to complete our ultimate goal see the great horizon was before us but at each waypoint we had to be faithful put things in correctly, to recalibrate and team up together. And that was one of the big reasons why we were able to complete our big great horizon, because we were faithful in each individual leg of the journey. And you know, Priscilla and Aquila were like that. In Acts 18, Priscilla and Aquila, they've met with Paul, likely after the edict of Claudius in AD 49. And in AD 50, Aquila and Priscilla are in Corinth. And Luke's account seems to show that they're already believers. And they've got something going on for them. They're, they're working. They probably have some sort of workshop set up. And they practice the same trade as Paul. Uh, something like leather working or tent making. Like they're weaving fabric together. And then Paul begins to work his trade with them. It works out really well. It uh, would have supported his own ministry. And he lives with them. Some people think probably they slept in a loft in their workshop. And he would have slept, you know, down among where they made the tents and stuff. So Paul does ministry with them. And begins this Corinthian church, and then with Priscilla and Aquila, they take off to the next waypoint, the next stopping place, all the way over into Ephesus. And this is where Paul leaves Priscilla and Aquila, and they basically stay and set up shop, probably quite literally. And then this intelligent and committed man named Apollo shows up, and he's preaching. And he knows something of what he's talking about, right? He talks about Jesus accurately, accurately, he seems to have the Holy Spirit at work in him, um, and he's witnessing, but he could be better. And at this point, Priscilla and Aquila get involved. Uh, they can help Apollos teach about Jesus more accurately. Uh, it's not that he's preaching it inaccurately. There's just there's some incomplete stuff about baptism, and so they're eager to help him out. And as Ben Stewart puts it, Priscilla and Aquila, they're not too busy with their own workshop to help. They are game to get in there and to be part of the church and that's important right they're not concerned primarily with building their own kingdom or building their own business but with building god's kingdom see at at whatever waypoint they're led to that's what seems to be happening it it seems to be happening again in rome they have a house that meets in their church so spouses if you're married what are the waypoints en route to that great horizon what are the waypoints that God is leading you to? And who are the people at each waypoint that God has brought to your attention? Are you looking for those people? See, how we navigate those should be in light of our missional identity, which I'm hoping we'll see through this sermon will mean so much more than just giving God the leftovers of our time and our life. See, different times in life, of course, will yield different ways of living out that missional identity. Right, when you're retired and older, it's going to look different than when you're young, broken with kids, or maybe not broke, or not with kids. And if you're single, have you grasped what that great horizon is right now and thought through, you know, where is God calling you to engage at this waypoint where you're at in your journey with Him? See, Priscilla and Aquila came to each waypoint in their life open-handed and looking for opportunities to be involved in whatever God called them to? Are you open-handed? Are there some things in your life that you need to let go of so you can be more involved in God's mission at the waypoint that God is calling you to now? There's another famous missionary. Now, he was actually part of what's known as the Cambridge Seven. Uh, Seven missionaries from Cambridge who went to China. His name is Charles Thomas Studd or often called C.T. Studd. He's well known for having penned some really inspiring poems, and he was committed to God's mission, but he saw things differently than Jim and Elizabeth. Rather than seeing his marriage as a triple threat, like of him, his spouse, and them together, that triple threat of going for the Lord all the way, he saw it mostly as his vocation to do the work of the ministry and his wife's to look after the children. His wife, strangely enough, is named Priscilla, uh, and they'd met. In China and both of them were committed to reaching the world with the gospel like she was gifted and committed to ministry But when they returned to England from China CT wanted to go on and do more and more ministry in Congo And he left Priscilla with their girls now in some of my research. It shows that he actually Wanted them in England for the sake of their health and safety Uh, But that actually caused a great pain to Priscilla. She would rather have joined him or had him with her, now she remained faithful to him and continued to support him, but in the end, uh, some people have remarked that it seemed that their marriage ended up more like a business partnership for God than a true marriage, because his desires overruled hers in this case, and they were not a triple threat for the kingdom of god and you know that 's not what God intends for our marriages. That picture we saw there. Where it shows CT Stud and Priscilla. Should have said CT and Priscilla Stud. In Acts, you know, Priscilla and Aquila are always together. But here's something that might surprise some of us. Whenever we see names together in manuscripts of the ancient world, specifically in the Greco Roman world, typically the order of names gives primacy to one person in whatever is being talked about. So, kind of like if we were to use Mr. and Mrs. today. In Acts 18.2 and 1 Corinthians 16.19, they're written as Aquila and Priscilla. And that comes up whenever the writers are referring to either their house or to their occupation as tent makers. But when their ministry is in view, like when it says they taught Apollos more accurately, the order is Priscilla and Aquila, suggesting that likely she took the lead in that. And that seems to show up whenever the context is biblical teaching, exposition, leading worship, or leading the gathering in their home, that was her gift. See, when Paul refers to them as co-workers in Romans, he suggests that together they are an important husband and wife duo. And that's important to realize, that the triple threat of marriage gives us no opportunity really to minimize Aquila or Priscilla, but instead to see that they're maximizing their gifts in ministry. So here's my question to you. Each of you in your marriage has gifts for ministry. What are those? Like how can you free up space and time for your spouse to use their gifts or encourage them to use their gifts for ministry? Now, now I do recognize too even saying that that some of you hear studs story and you think, well, you know what if what if I'm in a position kind of like that but my spouse actually doesn't just doesn't want to follow or go as hard after God right now. You know, there are certainly times in our marriages when one spouse is more devoted to the Lord while another is struggling. And that may fluctuate, right? Causing some of our desires for missional marriages to be frustrated. And it's frustrating. It can feel lonely for a bit. Right? We might press on for a little while, trying our best to do what we know is right, but sometimes that can even be at the expense of our spouses. And and brothers and sisters, that causes pain to both. You know, to press into a ministry and just leave our spouse behind, that is not what what the Lord means when he says to us in Ephesians 5, love your wives as you love yourself and submit to your husbands. Sacrificing your spouse on the altar of ministry, as mentor of mine Lyle Dorsett put it, that is not God's, revealed will for your marriage if you're married part of your call to be on mission involves being actively involved in the mission of marriage as well as a missional marriage so your ministry is your spouse if you are close with the lord that's what you're called to do and so i think there's maybe a few points we could touch on that might help us think through these things the first one i want to make is just if you're in that position apply love not pressure you know, sometimes it's really tempting when you're fired up about something and you see it as totally important to be really intense in trying to get your spouse to join, y- join in with you. You're like, you know, this is what we need to do. This is the best thing. Like, if we don't do this, we are not living. You get the idea. And, y- and you might be right. But one podcaster makes the point when he's speaking about parenting. He says, the things that we apply with the least amount of pressure tend to stick the best and i think that's true in our marriage as well like peter encourages wives in first peter we are to have good behavior so that we can win over our spouse without words doing what's right and ultimately trusting in the lord that's my next point you know we really do need to pray and trust the lord trust that he's brought you two together and that as you surrender your will to him he will make you more and more like christ Larry Crabb, in his book, The Marriage Builder, he says that many of the desires that we have for our marriages, we often try to make into goals. And here how, here's how he explains that. He describes a desire as an objective that we legitimately and fervently want, but we just cannot reach through our efforts alone. And goals, he says, can be reached through our own efforts. So here's, here's an example. we could maybe, maybe maybe you say, you know, I want my husband and I to see Five people come to know Jesus this year. That is a desire, and it's a great one, but it's not a goal. We are encouraged to pray for those, but then to trust God. See, when it comes to fixing our eyes on the great horizon, we can still do that even when the waypoints that we wanted to reach don't seem to be the waypoints the stopping places in our journey that we're at. Like Paul, we can actually learn to be content in every situation, even when the waypoints of life, Are painful because even if our desires for fellowship or for outreach and ministry with our spouse isn't happening our goals to please god to grow into christlikeness to grow closer to him and to love our spouse those are not dictated by our ability or inability to fulfill those other great desires that we have But even so, the challenge to us is this. Priscilla and Aquila lived their ministry callings out together. And so how are you and your spouse living out your calling together? How are you nurturing your spouse's gifts and growing in godliness? See, if God calls you to be married, you are called to build God's kingdom together, not your own kingdom. In Acts chapter 5, we get a little bit of a warning story. Ananias and Sapphira, they are really the first glimpse of a married couple who are supposedly coming to, to, together to build God's kingdom, but it's a false start because they're not primarily concerned about building God's kingdom. They're actually kind of wanting to be involved, but they're looking at each other and wanting to build their own kingdom. So as you read the story, uh, they sell a field and they're going to selfly give it away like people before them have. Only the couple is saying they're giving all of it when really they're deciding to keep half of it themselves. So they're lying about really something that, well, it's theirs to decide to do what they want to do with anyways. See, theirs is a heart problem. Their heart has been compromised. Their heart is intent on doing this for some reason. Uh, Maybe it's to impress the apostles. Maybe it's to gain honor or influence. And their story serves as, as a warning that, it's, that this is really not the way it's supposed to be with God's people. They actually drop dead right there, and that should wake us up. They were willing to compromise. Rather than teaming up together to build God's kingdom, they were compromising and holding back to build up their own kingdom. See, the motivation for our living missional marriages and being part of the church is not to be for our glory, but only for God's glory. And Priscilla and Aquila, they show that so well, like constantly being mentioned wherever they are, in Rome and in Ephesus, serving God's people wholeheartedly. See how Christian people live out their marriages, that has a profound impact in terms of bearing witness to the goodness of the good news of Jesus to the rest of the world. See, our marriages are, and how we operate in them and out of them, are to be examples of something different than the world around us. See, in the Roman Empire, how Christianity treated women and children, what it required of them in the early centuries in the Roman Empire, that was one of the major factors for the Christian faith gaining significant traction in the world. Here's how one pastor, his name is Ben Stewart, he puts it. Women were drawn to Christianity in such large numbers that by A.D. 370, the Emperor Valentinian, an opponent of the movement, issued a written order demanding that Christian missionaries cease calling on the homes of pagan women. Why were women so drawn to this countercultural movement? Because they were afforded higher status than women in the rest of the Greco-Roman world, right? Men in Rome held marriage in low esteem. A lot of correspondence you can find there contain their laments about the hassle of caring for a woman. Sex was widely available through prostitutes in the city, and there was a loose morality in men. Why promise to care for one woman if I can have sex with many without any obligation? And then when men did marry, they went for young 13-year-old girls. When they had female children, it was commonplace to destroy them. And eventually, the ratio of men to women became skewed. And Ben points out that when men's sexuality goes unchecked, women and children lose. And ultimately, so do men and so does society. And he says... Christianity grew in this environment at a rapid pace because it approached sexuality so differently. Women were honored. Men did not commit incest or child marriage or divorce or promiscuity. They faithfully loved one woman, their wives. They also faithfully joined their wives in raising their young girls. Why did so many Romans flock to what had initially been seen as a dangerous cult? Because they saw in Christianity a way of navigating life love and sexuality that allowed all to flourish men women and children were happier and healthier families were places of life sexuality was governed by love not lust women and men mutually honored one another and then ben goes on to conclude and this helps kind of bring us to the place where we're seeing how our marriage is on mission he says in essence what paul proclaimed in ephesians 5 came true in practice Loving marriages became a picture to the world of what commitment to a loving God is like. When we walk in wisdom, we flourish. When we let the Spirit of God guide, He leads us to pleasant places. You know, That helps us see that marriage itself, when, 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 it, when it's living out God's desires and it's focused on building the kingdom of God and not our own kingdom, that it is a picture of the beauty of the gospel. And it is part of the mission itself. And so for some of you, maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, I don't know if I can be involved in some other ministry. Uh, You're married, maybe you have kids, and you're thinking, I'm so busy, like, what does this look like for me? How do I model this gospel life? When I was young, my parents often, they took us to visit widows and elderly folk who were in the hospital or just not near their families. And that's actually something I think that you can do with your kids and it brings great joy That ministry consistently in my young childhood had a profound impact me and when I was in college that had set deep roots and Opportunities came up for me to serve in a nursing home ministry and then to help lead that nursing home ministry And it was all because I saw the importance of that because those seeds were sown by my parents in my life So take this time now to sow seeds and live out your missional identity Don't be too busy to build the kingdom of God Rosaria Butterfield, in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key*, she reminds us that we are called to build Christian communities, that we're called to build nightly table fellowship, to ease the pain of orphanhood, widowhood, and prison, to be good and faithful stewards of what God has given to us in the person, work, example, obedience, and suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ as both hosts and guests, right? hosts who welcome people in but also guests who go out i encourage you to do that see priscilla and aquila they lived on mission in the early church they had a missional marriage and from what we read they weren't in it for the money or for the comfort or for the retirement plan and the friends that they would make when it came to serving the church they risked their lives for it paul says they risked their lives for me and we really don't know what exactly that was right but that's the kind of mission that our marriages should have, that we are going all the way in serving and loving God and the church community and in the, in the community that he's called us to. All right, we're not working hard and being married and making money to just one day retire and spend our time somewhere in the world doing things that we enjoy. Right, when it comes to living a missional marriage, if we want our marriage to reflect something of the glory of God, like Priscilla and Aquila, We need something more. So resist the temptation to enjoy the fruits of your labor and instead bear fruit and participate in Christ's labor. Be a laborer for him. And so as I close today, I want to encourage everyone listening. uh, Maybe you're single and you aren't married, or maybe you're newly single, or maybe you are married and maybe you've been struggling with thinking through what it means to live out your missional identity. I want to encourage you with this. There's this famous sermon. It's often referred to as the Seashell Sermon uh, that a pastor named John Piper shared with a group of young people on May twentieth, 2000. And in it, John shares a story of two women, Dr. Laura Edwards and Ruby Eliason. They were medical doctors, and they were serving the poor in Cameroon. They were over 80 years old. And as they were driving and with their driver one day, the brakes on their vehicles just gave out, And they went over a cliff, and instantly, they died. And then John pulled out this Reader's Digest piece of paper that said, you can retire early. And it spoke of how two 50-year-olds, Bob and Penny, had retired early, moved to Florida, and spent their days trawling around on their boat, playing softball, and collecting seashells. Then he asked the question, which one of those is more tragic? Which one of those is a tragedy? Now, if we were to pull up Priscilla and Aquila, I think that you'd find that their lives more closely reflect the story of those women who passed away in Cameroon. See, the tragedy is the temptation to build our kingdom. When we come before God on that final day, when we do crest over and see God at the crest of that great horizon, we're going to come, hopefully, to that horizon, not with a seashell collection, but with a life that was wholeheartedly committed to God's mission and a host of people whose lives were impacted for the sake of that kingdom coming behind us. Now, I'm not saying you can't enjoy rest, but I do want us to ask that question of ourselves. Like, because though tragic, the real tragedy is not the 80-year-olds who served the poor for the glory of God until the very end, but those who at 50 sought out wealth for the sake of their own glory. What is the horizon? And do the waypoints, those places that you've set your GPS compass to. Are they pointing you toward the king? Are they faithfully committed to making the king of the kingdom known, no matter the situation that you're in? I encourage you today to fix your eyes on Jesus, even when the going gets tough. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. And consider him who endured the shame of the cross for the joy set before him. And do not grow weary or lose heart. Look to him as you run towards him. You know, some of you hearing this message, message, maybe you haven't put your faith in Jesus. Or maybe you've been involved in doing this and it's just been so hard and you just would rather not. But I want to invite you today to chase after Jesus and not seashells. To see the beauty of what God has done for you in the gospel. When he came down so that you could have a reconciled relationship with him. That is what our marriages picture, and that is what we are called to pursue in our world. And so I want to invite you today, if you haven't already, to place your trust in Jesus, to seek first his kingdom and not your own. Let's pray together as the band comes up. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways that you call us to pursue your purposes in the world. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit in us that enables us to do that. and Help us, Lord, to think, to reflect on our lives well in light of the hope of the gospel, in light of our calling to be on mission, whether we're single or we're married, that we've been given an opportunity to be devoted and to build your kingdom. Help us, Lord, forgive us for those ways that we've sought to build our own kingdom. And help us, Lord, to instead lay all of our desires, our, our, our plans for the future, down at your feet. We pray this in your name. Amen.